Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. So good. I love it. I love it that they're always packaged together. It's a good it's a good thing. I'm going to um I'm going to pray for us again real quick and we're going to dive in. So Father, I just thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in this room. I thank you, Lord, that you're here, that you're moving. Holy Spirit, we are dependent on you today to speak, to move, to shift things in our heart in our city. So God, I pray right now that you would soften us, soften our hearts. Lord, I pray that your word and your spirit would cut deep today. Lord, that we would be changed by your word, that we would be transformed by your spirit today. Lord, do something fresh on the inside of us, Lord, that it would change our lives, that it would change the way we think, the way we live, the way we minister. In Jesus' name, amen. I know this is the heart of this house. We, we never just want to do church. We never just want to come and, and do stuff, to do stuff. We want the Lord. We want his presence. We want his transforming power. We, and, and so that's, you know, that's the heart of worship you felt today. There's a hunger. There's a desire in our company, in your hearts. We want to be touched by the Lord. We don't just want the status quo, and we certainly just don't want to do stuff to do it. We want more of him. And so, so I pray today that, that you would get that, um, just even in what I'm sharing today. I, I want to share specifically about John the Baptist. And it's a little different than anything I've quite preached, but it's, it, I believe it has a lot of correlation to um, what I preached on Father's Day, the, the Father heart of God. And, and John has a lot of components, actually, of his life that I find are very precious and important to this specific house. And so I think, too, even as I share a bit about John, I'm going to correlate it with this house. And especially for some of you that are new, I hope you catch some of the themes because these are the themes that we are called to carry as a company. And I believe, I, I really believe we, we want to focus and flesh these out because there's things that God's given us as a community to forerun, just as John the Baptist was a forerunner. We're called to forerun these things in New York. It's specific to this house. How many of you know it's not just about building some church and then you like you just put a program in that every other church does and it's great. It's like, no, God gives specific assignments. I love that about God. He's, he's not about these cookie-cutter sort of programmatic things. He, he really has specific assignments. And nobody exemplifies that better, well, no human, than uh, John the Baptist. Now, Jesus was a human, but he was also divine. But John the Baptist, he... He embodies this sort of, this person who has a very specific and very um, timely message, right? Like John is, is, comes to the earth at a time, like the perfect time, and his message is very narrow and focused. How many know in our culture right now, we could really use a little more focus? Um, we could use a little more narrow I want to be a big thinker, but I want to be narrow in the things that God says to do, right? And sometimes, I mean, I'm, I'm just as guilty as anybody in this room. There's just so many things you could do, 
There's so many thoughts you could think. Let's brainstorm and think of all, but what has God really said? God, would you narrow? So I pray today, honestly, that you would be a little more narrow-minded, and I mean that in the best way possible. Like, I mean that you'd be narrowly focused on what God's called you specifically to do. Because if you're taking on somebody else's ministry or somebody else's vision, like, and you're not hearing what the Lord has said for you, you're going to miss, to be honest. You're going to miss some of the things that God would have you deposit, the seed he would have you plant in this season for you to do. It's very specific. That's how God works. Um, so my heart for my own life and for the life of my kids is, God, would you keep us on narrative? Would you keep us on the narrative that you have so that then the waves come when the wind blows we're, we're so rooted in the, in the narrative that God, in God's storyline for, for, the, for the world, but for ourselves specifically, that those things that come, they don't deter, they don't distract, they don't become the narrative, right? The recession doesn't become a part of our narrative. That's what we're talking about this morning. That's not a part of my narrative. My narrative is the kingdom of God coming to earth through Jesus, through his sons and daughters. A recession is not a part of my narrative, doesn't mean it's not real. It just means I'm not letting it influence how I see the world and how I live. Does that make sense? So I believe, and I'm gonna I'm gonna flesh this point out quite a bit today, that there, there there's something specific to this house, but it's specific right now in the earth. God's raising up spiritual moms and dads, spiritual sons and daughters to come under those moms and dads. How many of you know you can't be a spiritual mom and dad if you're not a spiritual son and daughter? You got to go through the first part to get the second. Sometimes we want to be, we got to be spiritual moms and dads. We're going to disciple all these people. Well, who, who, who's discipling you? Who's feeding you? If nobody's feeding you, I, you're going to make some pretty rough disciples, I'm, I'm willing to bet. Um, I know because I've done it before and it doesn't work. Um, so there, there's, there's the spiritual moms and dads are coming out of this house, coming in the city, coming across the earth, and it starts with being spiritual sons and daughters. And so I learned a lot of principles from being a physical father. I have three daughters. I have a seven-year-old, five-year-old, one-year-old. And my oldest daughter, Fern, I said this in the first service too. It's funny how like you're so intentional with your first kid. If you have kids, you know this. In the next two, three, four, you're just kind of like not as intentional. Like there's just a few things that get by you that didn't with the first. But with Fern, we were really intentional about praying for her. God, what's her name? What should we, what should we call her? What it, you know, what it's, what's the calling on her life? And we did it with all of them, but a little bit more for her. And we, we got the name Fern, and the Lord began to confirm it with some various things, like just kind of crazy things that happened to us. And we felt she was to be called that because it means sincere love. And, that, and her middle name is Laurel, which means victory. It's my mother-in-law's name. And she was going to win her victories through sincere love. And so that, we knew this was the Lord. And then a few things happened, and we, now we really know it's the Lord. We actually stumbled across this fernery. Anybody ever been to a fernery before? Yeah, you haven't because, well, yeah, one person, you have, okay. So I stand corrected, but how many went to a fernery the month before you got a daughter named Fern that was going to be born? Nobody. So I go to this fernery, and I'm like, Lord, this is what you're doing. And, um, and it was, yeah, and, and anyway, it was one of these moments where God just confirms the names of your child or the names he's given them. And it helps you then to war for them, and it helps you to remind them over the course of their life. We're called as parents, physical and spiritual, to remind our children who they are and what they're called to do. And so through those experiences, I know that Fern is called to love sincerely. And if she does things that are not sincere love, I will call her out in a loving way and call her back to what God 
said who she is and what she's called to do. And there's a lot more details, though, but I'll just give you the, the high-level notes. But when I was a young parent, and some of you I know can relate to this story, right? I have this daughter. This, I had this great calling on her life, and now I'm taking her out into the world. And so this is literally like, I think, the first week of her existence. And I've got her in a little carrier, and I'm just nervous as can be. Like, I'm trying to get down the steps, and she's waking up. And, and I'm recognizing all the fears that I'm about to face. So, like, I literally, like, got her to, the, to the, um, the bottom of our steps, and I forgot something of high importance. I forget what, maybe mace, in case, you know, there's bad guys. And I run up the steps to get whatever it was, and my shoe falls off. And literally, my shoe starts bouncing down the steps, and here's my, like, infant baby at the base of the stairwell. And I'm watching this shoe, this, you know, 7.5 shoe um, go right towards her head and um, and it hits her crib and she doesn't nothing happens but it was like I was on high pins and needles um, like Lord help me with this child so I take her out and of course I see a lot of things that concern me there was hepatitis I was sure under this you know section over here hepatitis A and B was over in this area and you know you see all these dogs and they look rabid they're kind of foaming at the mouth and then you have those toddlers that are quite suspicious and they're carrying water guns and like, you know, it's anyway. So the world all of a sudden became much more volatile when you have a child. Um, but my point is you have these, these inclinations, right, of the destiny and purpose of your kid and of yourself. And then you get into life and fears and things begin to rock pile you and you begin to forget or you begin to focus more on the things that you're concerned with and you forget who you are or who your child is. And so there's things in our life that um, I, I, I'm purposely making this a twofold approach because it attacks our understanding of our purpose. But it also we're called to also understand the purpose of our children. And that is our physical children and our spiritual ones. We're called to know their purpose. And the things in this world will come and try to attack and undergird those realities. And so how much more do we have to be in his word? How much more do we have to be discerning of what he said, warring with those things in order to combat these things in the world, these fears, these frustrations that would try to come and underpin the narrative of God? Does that make sense? And so I'd like to ask you today before, I just want to ask this question, and I think, just be honest. When you think about your life, when you think about the calling of God on your life, does it make you excited? Does it just, do you just ooze with, yes, God has called me to do these amazing things. I can't wait to do it, and I know it's true. If you have that excitement, that's awesome, and I pray for more of that today. If you have a little bit of that excitement, I pray for it would, it would bump up. If you don't feel that if, that, if that joy and that excitement and that sense of destiny is not burning in your spirit, then there's some deception that the Lord's going to deal with today. He's going to deal with it. He's going to deal with it in me. He's going to deal with it in you. Because just as John the Baptist knew who he was, he had prophetic words, and he had, he had revelation knowledge of his calling, and that's what kept him on the straight and narrow path. 
That's what kept him doing the things that nobody else is doing. Nobody's going to the wilderness and eating locusts and wild honey and wearing camel hair. Nobody's doing it. But John did it. And you're not called to do that. So if anybody does that with this message, I did not tell you to do that. Okay? My pastor said, I'm a John the Baptist type. I'm going to be a forerunner. Don't do that in New York. You won't get a lot of influence. But you get my point. He was set apart, consecrated unto the Lord. And he did what God asked him to. And he didn't get off narrative. And I pray you don't either. And, and my point is this. Spiritual fathers and mothers keep their spiritual sons and daughters on track. Keep them on track. That's why it's so essential right now that we have them and that we become them, spiritual moms and dads. God, let us have them and let us become them. Raise it up in this house. So just a few points about John the Baptist before I get into his life. I just want to give like these, these are quick, important points. John's birth was announced by an angel. Angel Gabriel. How cool is that? Don't you wish your birth was announced by an angel? And Gabriel, come on, of all angels. So he clearly had a very significant call. Um, he, his his um, mom, Elizabeth, was barren. So it was also a miracle in that she was barren, she was old, she was not thinking she could conceive a child, and the angel shows up and things change. Um, how many of you know those miracles are happening in our midst? God's, God's filling wombs, and praise the Lord for that. Um, also, there were multiple words and moments in John's life. I love John's life, by the way. It's like a great, somebody needs to do a book on it. Oh, wait, there is the book. Um, no, I make a movie. But, but there's many points in his life where the Holy Spirit falls on people, and they prophesy and confirm the things about John that were mentioned in the Old Testament. And so I'll get to some of those. But that happens multiple times with his, with his mom, with his dad, um, and with other various people. Um, John's voice was the first prophetic voice that was recorded for 400 years. There's 400 years of, they call it 400 years of silence in the Bible. So from the book of Malachi and some of the older prophets till all the way up to John, um, there's not prophetic utterances. Like there's no record. So there may have been certain activities, but it was, it's silent in terms of the Bible. Nothing. And then John comes on the scene as this prophetic voice in the spirit and power of Elijah who is going to usher in a whole new era. And it, he's the greatest sort of transitional um, minister in human history. And he gets the job of setting up the risen Christ. I mean, talk about a big job and a big task. He's the guy standing between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So he's the guy like who God sends to say, make the way the straight paths for the Lord to come. We're going from old covenant to new covenant. We're going to Holy Spirit falls on a few people here or there to Holy Spirit embodies everybody. We're going to people are under the weight of their sin to everybody's sin is forgiven that receives Jesus. We're at massive transitional moment, no bigger one in human history. And John's put front and center. And I love that God even said, I want a man to help me do this. He could have just come in. Why didn't Jesus just, you know, be the setup man and the closer? Baseball analogy for you baseball fans. Why, why wouldn't he just do it all? No, I want to send a man to, to, to forerun ahead of me. That's a, that, that says a lot about who God is, doesn't it? He's willing to partner with, with men on the earth, with women on the earth for his purposes. 
I love that. So we're going to get into the life of John. Um, I just gave you some high-level points about who he is. And I'll say this last one actually real quick, really important. His message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was John's message, the one of repentance. And he was baptizing people. That's why he's called John the Baptist. He was baptizing people, and they were coming to him. He didn't come to them. He'd hang out in the wilderness. They'd come to him, and they were, bap- they were repenting of their sins. His message was also connecting the children to the parents and the parents to their children. And this is what I'm going to highlight, especially for this church today. This is part of our calling. This is part of what we're supposed to forerun. And certainly John embodied this and was called to it. And that's what Jesus wanted in advance of his return or his coming. And also in his return, spoiler alert, Jesus is coming back. And we're ushering in the second coming as forerunners in many of the same ways John the Baptist did. That's the, whole, that's the fun part. I'm not going to get to that a whole lot today, but it must, be, it must be mentioned. All right, turn to your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 11. We're going to get into John's birth, and it's a doozy. It's a really fun story to read. So we're going to jump into it, verse 11. John chapter, or Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Appeared to who? Zachariah. Zachariah is a priest He's coming into the temple. They cast lots. And lo and behold, Zechariah gets chosen to go in the temple. Why? Because it's God's perfect timing, and he's about to get set up. So there he is standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah sees the angel of the Lord, he is startled and gripped with fear, naturally. But the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice in his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drinks, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. How many of you know that actually happened? Jesus entered into the room in Mary's womb and says, Elizabeth, who's John's mom, was filled with the Holy Spirit. John in the womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. So there it is. It happened. I told you about it. It's in the word. Um, Verse 16. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, "How how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. I love that line. I think that's so funny. He's just like, do you not know who I am? Like, are you kidding me? God said this, like, be quiet. And then he actually did make him be quiet. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. God's word will come true. It will come to pass. This angel knows it because he's in the presence of God. Zechariah found it out. And he, he got on board. Let me tell you, he did. <laughs> so just to keep going, because I want to keep reading through this narrative, if you jump to verse 59, jump to verse 59, and I already hit a lot of these themes um, when I shared earlier what um, kind of what was going on with John. Um, verse 59 is his birth. So Elizabeth's about to give birth. It says, on the eighth day, uh, she just gave birth to John. They came to circumcise the child, John. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, no, no. He is to be called John. They said to her, there are no other relatives who have that name. 
And then they made signs to the father, who's, remember, he's mute, um, to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. To everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Names really matter. Names are really important. John's got to stay on narrative. And, and people are shocked that they would name him something that's not in the family. I mean, that culturally was unheard of. That's why they're like, what? He's not a junior? What's going on? Um, verse 64, immediately his mouth was open and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. This is Zechariah. All the neighbors were filled with awe and all throughout the countryside, people were talking about these things. Everyone who heard about him wondered, saying, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. And Zechariah starts prophesying about the coming of Jesus, coming in the line of King David, and then he prophesies over his own son. And I want you to read this. This is verse 76. This verse, fathers, spiritual fathers, we are called to prophesy with this type of tenacity over our spiritual sons and spiritual mothers of their spiritual daughters. We're called to prophesy to keep them on narrative. And I love how this is, I love this statement, 76. And you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him. He's giving a charge to his baby. But he knows what the Lord said, and he's going to hold on to it the, his whole, the rest of his life and make sure John knows it too. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Isn't that beautiful? It's a beautiful piece of scripture. A father speaking it over the son. Some of you in this room, you're gonna speak, you're gonna speak these prophetic utterances you already have to sons and daughters and it is going to keep them on the straight and narrow, even in the times of testing. And they're going to know that they know that they know that God has spoken that over, and that's who they are, and they'll never stray from it. Amen. And this is part of our call. This is We're raising up moms and dads in the faith in this house that are going to be like that. They're going to go to war with their kids. Yeah. You know how I know that? Because Bill and Tammy and Salinger has done that for me. I know there's a DNA for this in the house, and we're called to do it for one another, and we're called to do it for the generations that are coming. And so I asked myself, okay, how does John, he's a baby, right? All right, they spoke this over him. He's like eight days old. Um, how does John know who he is and what he's supposed to do? And the only way John can know that, there's nothing in scripture that says that the angel came to John as a teenager and was like, hey, man, go in the wilderness and do your thing. Like, no, the revelation came to his parents. And by honoring his parents, I'm assuming, he received the impartation, the understanding of his calling. I think we have a lot of young people in this city, in this nation. We're confused because we don't know what our father is saying over us. We don't either have a father or we haven't honored our earthly father or earthly mother in a way to ascertain what we carry. Because even if your parents are messed up, guess what? There's something in them that you carry that is of God. Some of you got to hear that. Even when your parents are messed up, even if they're the worst parents in the world, there's something in them that is for you that is of God that you are called to honor and take. Yeah. 
and run with. Getting rowdy back there. You're called to run with it. And you know what? I'm so proud of so many of you in this company because I've sat with you and I've heard you doing the thing I just said. I've heard you going after it, going after, running after your parents and, and taking everything you can that they have that's of God. And it's a beautiful thing from brokenness, but you're getting inheritance. You're getting riches, even in the midst of things that don't seem like there's riches there, but in God, you'll find them. And so I'm seeing that in this company. I just want to acknowledge it and, and tell you, I, I'm, I'm so proud of, of how many of you are just courageously doing that. And that's, that's step one, honestly, in being able to, in being able to be a spiritual son and father, you got to be able to do that. You got to be able to honor, even in weakness, our parents to receive what they carry. So John's mom and dad, they're the ones that raised him in the wilderness. It says in Luke 1:80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit and lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. I don't think when John was six, he walked into the wilderness by himself. <laughs> Could be wrong, but I doubt it. His parents understood the call in his life, and they repositioned their family so that he would fulfill it. It's a high call. As parents, we got to take note. You may reposition your whole family just for the sake of the calling on one of your kids. That war is against the culture. I thought the kids are supposed to be just for my benefit, not I'm supposed to serve them. <laughs> no, we serve one another. We serve our kids and our kids serve us. So I'll, I'll tell you real quick how some of this applies to me. So I moved to this city 11 years ago, and, um, and I was here, and I was here for my wife. She was in acting school at the time, and I was here to help her and pursue that. I, I come a part of this company, and I got caught up in God's storyline for this city, for this region. I got caught up in it. I really did, and I come here to Friday nights, and you would hear, like, the words, and I was not here just hearing words. I was getting things hitting my spirit. God's going to do this in New York. Be a part of this. Like, this is happening. And, uh, and then people were doing prophetic art, right? And, like, they would be, like, seeing things that I'm hearing. And uh, Jamal and Ogo, they were there. We were sitting back there, you know, no kids. We were just doing whatever we want to do. <laughs> and, um, and it was, I, was, I started to get caught up in the narrative. And, um, but, but it wasn't until I actually, Lou Engel, who many of you know, came here, and he gave me a prophetic word. And it was like the things that I was hearing, he was articulating. And, it, and I knew it was from God. I was like, what? Like, and he basically was intertwining the things happening in the city with the calling on my life in this word. And I was like, that's what I've been hearing. How many know that's a good prophetic word? It's really good if it's something that you're, it's not just brand new information. It might be, but it's deep in your spirit. Something has already been spoken because yeah. God put it in there. And so I knew that that was true. And then two years later, I'm meeting with Pastor Bill, and Bill, Bill takes me out to lunch and articulates the same thing that Lou had prophesied over me. He's not trying to. He's just articulating it and what he's sharing with me. And, and I was like, wow, I think maybe I am called to ministry. Maybe I am supposed to do these things because I got a word that I resonated with. I got to look up that word. 
So I go back to my house and I get out my, I actually get out my notes because I have an iPhone. I search in my, I like to do the notes because it looks cooler, but I just search my iPhone. And, um, and I get up that word and I'm like, whoa, like the word was given the same day that Bill and I had met two years to the day. Exactly. I said, God, this must be you. <laughs> but I said, if it is you, I want seven more. No, I said, I want a lot more confirmations. I didn't ask for a number. I got seven more, right? The Lord made it very clear. Seven confirmations. But you know what it took? It took a spiritual father speaking prophetically, speaking into my life to bring out the reality of my destiny and calling. And I could choose to align with it or not. But when I had a spiritual father that was solid, spoke it, and then I agreed with it. I think that's a formula that's, that's really critical right now in this era. Spiritual moms and dads, they're going to have the thing you need. They're going to give you the assurance of your calling. But you got to sit with them. you got to know them. you got to draw from them. But when the Lord's on it, it's dynamite because you won't quit. So I want to I kind of unpack three, three ways that I believe we as a company relate with John the Baptist. All right. And these are three things that are core to our DNA and, and that, that I find to be really in correlation with John's storyline, his testimony. Okay. Number one, like John, we, this company, we point to the Lamb of God. That's our goal. That's what the worship team's doing today. You like worship? It's not about the musicians. It's not about the sound. Yeah, it's great. If they're pointing to the lamb, they're taking you to him. And that's what feels good. <laughs> that feels really good to be with him, to, be, to, be, to feel his presence. And so that's what we were doing today, and that's the heart of this house. We point to the lamb. We got to come with that humble posture. John was such a humble guy. Like, he had to be given his assignment. He, he couldn't just go out there and try to, he wasn't trying to build his own thing. He was literally, he was assigned to be in the wilderness 20 plus years to go out and do a very, like, brief stint of ministry in which his ministry would start to spike, and then he would give everything to Jesus. Like, that was his assignment, right? How many, how many millennials and below really want an assignment like that? Yeah, God, like, you know, send me out to, so that I can break ground for somebody else's glory, you know? <laughs> It just seems funny to us in this culture, but that's the lifestyle of Christianity. It's to point to the lamb, and that's what real ministry looks like, like pointing to the lamb where real transformation happens, where people get caught up in Jesus, not caught up in your church or in your leaders or in your church culture. Like All those things are important and good, but we want to get caught up in the one. We want to get caught up in the lamb of God. And so John, it says in John 1, 6 through 8, he was a man sent from God, and he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that all through him might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. We have to know that you and I were witnesses to the light. Because I'm telling you, when you go out and lay hands on the sick and they get healed, you can get puffed up. You can feel really good about it, and you should feel good about it. That's awesome. But if you're not focused on pointing people to the Lamb, you are not going to run the race. 
And that's why we need spiritual moms and dads to be like, hey, you're prideful. Go back and point to the lamb. Like, stop trying to build your own thing. What does he say? Don't build the house unless it's what he said or you're laboring in vain. So we need our spiritual parents to build wisely and to point to the lamb. In John 1, uh, 29, we see the first time that Jesus is referred to in the New Testament as the Lamb of God. And it's, it's John seeing him walking up, and he points at him out, even to his own disciples. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He understood Jesus was the Lamb of God before Jesus did anything. He's just a carpenter, you know, he's just carving things. And John's like, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. How do you know that? Like, he saw the Spirit of God descend on him. But John, I mean, John's a sharp guy. Like, he understood things before others did, and he wasn't just looking for, like, for the physical things. Like, he saw things in the spirit realm, and he understood who Jesus was, and he called it forth to a point where John's disciples are starting to jump ship. They're like, hey, we're going to this guy. And Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, you know, he's now a follower of Jesus. John's got no problem with it. He says, Jesus must become greater. I must become less. A humble posture. A humble posture. Because he knew his role. And he, his father spoke it over him. He knew I'm the one calling out in the wilderness. I'm preparing the way for someone else. And lo and behold, he found out that someone else was his cousin, Jesus. Which probably was a shocker. <laughs> I'm just going to say that. Um, I don't have any biblical context for that, but I think it's probably true. So, you know, Vanessa was saying this last week, and uh, I thought this was so good. She was talking about how, like, um, you know, what if Jesus, like, what if God said, do what makes you happy, Jesus, <laughs> like, if that was, like, the calling, you know, because that's kind of a normal thing in their culture. You should follow the desires you have. Do what makes you happy. It's like, you imagine if God told Jesus that? Um, he didn't. And John wasn't told that either. So John was told, this is your assignment. This is your focus. Go do it. And he was groomed by his parents to do that one assignment. And he will be forever, you know, um, rewarded for what he did. We have to have assignments, callings that are bigger than this earth. It is not about what makes us happy. You will not be fulfilled by doing things that make you happy. I've tried doing things that make me happy, and then I'm frustrated. I can't go on a vacation more than a week, and I get frustrated because I need more <laughs> things in my life beyond sitting on a beach. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm just telling you, it doesn't lead to happiness. It doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't lead to fulfillment. So um, I want to read this real quick. I don't even know where this is in the Bible. It's in the book of John somewhere. Um, I've lost the reference, but it's in the book of John. I think it's John 3, actually. Um, and so it says, They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To, to this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I, he is sent ahead of him. I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. He took joy not in doing the happy things. He took joy in fulfilling the will of God for his life. That's the joy you and I are looking for. 
And you know it because sometimes we do things that make us happy and there's no joy in it and it's so temporal. But when we do things God calls us to, oh man, that's like oxygen in my lungs. Like it's so good because that's how we were made to live. And John exemplifies that quite well. He was a pretty, I mean, he was a pretty intense dude, I'm sure, John the Baptist. But I just feel like he had this joy, this confidence, because he's doing the the one thing God called him to do, prepare the way of the Lord. All right, so number one, we point to the lamb. We point to the lamb. Number two, we commit to prayer and fasting. John lived a consecrated life. means he was set apart. His lifestyle, as I mentioned earlier, was none like anybody else's around him. But his lifestyle was in submission to his calling. He knew that in order to fulfill the word of God in his life, a lifestyle of prayer and fasting was necessary. And guess what? He lived in the wilderness, so there's nothing to eat anyway. He just ate locusts and honey because there's nothing there. It's very easy when you have cacti as your only choice of food. So that was strategic of the Lord. And I was saying the first service, we're in, you know, New York. So this is like, we're going to be rewarded more for our prayer and fasting. <laughs> it's a lot harder than John had it. But it's that lifestyle of prayer, like going to the wilderness, doing the things God's called you to do, and fasting, not letting yourself be driven by your physical desires, but being driven from within by the Spirit of God, what He's saying and doing to you. That lifestyle is pivotal. If we're going to do the things God's called us to do in this city, and we're not, we're not going to do it without that lifestyle, I'm just telling you. And people say, oh, that's so radical. You know, John didn't drink any wine or John didn't. It's like these Christians, you know, that say they're doing these radical things. That's so legalistic. And people say that all the time. And I would say, have you talked to them about what God said to them? Like, why are they doing the things they're doing? Have you asked them? Or are you just assuming pure legalism? Because God calls us sometimes to radical things. And, and so we need to be more sensitive to that than to what the culture thinks is normative. I can care less what the culture thinks is normative. What is God calling me to? And at the same regard, if God's calling you to something, don't necessarily layer on everybody else. Don't say, you know, John didn't say everybody's got to drink no wine. Everybody's got to, you know, live in the wilderness. Like, he didn't say that. Now, he taught his disciples to fast and pray, but he had a specific calling. So don't let somebody else's... Don't minimize somebody else's radical lifestyle, but also don't layer your radical lifestyle on somebody else. Does that make sense? I think we'll be a lot better in that place. And it's not this earning sort of thing. It's just obedience. We're not trying to earn God's favor. Like the whole, my prerequisite for this message is the love, the the father heart of God. He loves us. He delights in us. We don't pray and fast to make him love us more, to make him delight us more, to give us a bigger whatever. We do it out of pure obedience and love. It's a very different posture. And, and I believe John, he couldn't afford to live a normal lifestyle because he didn't have a normal calling. Like, you, you, you're going you're gonna to preach repentance. I mean, he challenged the political realm. He challenged the religious realm. You're going to preach all that and live a compromised life? No, like. You're not going to make it, man. Like, you're going you're gonna to preach, you know. I mean, he, was, he had the spirit of Elijah on him, okay, calling people back to repent. And, and he called people brood of vipers. He said, hey, Jewish people, the axe, is at, the axe is literally about to cut you out. Like, repent and follow the Lord. I mean, try, try saying that around New York City. Like, see how it gets you. Like, John had a very specific call, and he had a lifestyle that matched it. So I would say to you, does your call match your lifestyle? Ah. 
Think about it, really. There's a call of God, if you know, and some of you are like, yeah, I know my call. Love it. Does it match your lifestyle? To the spirit of Elijah, Elijah called, he called the, the nation to repent for serving false gods. And that's what John's doing in his day. He called the nation to a place of devotion, to a place of intercession, to a, a place of purity and worship. He, I mean, he rebuilt the altar. Elijah did. And John is, call, is doing the same calling in his day and age. And so we're called as a company calling people to prayer, to worship, to fasting, to consecrated life. But if we're not living in, we got nothing. And so we got to pull the hood up of the car and check it. Engine light on, you know. I got my oil changed yesterday. Thank you, Kevin, for doing that. Check, check the oil. Check what's going on on the inside because you'll never be able to sustain the calling if you're not living the lifestyle. And I would say this too, like there's a lot of follow-up on that. I know that's a big thing. Go to spiritual sons and daughters. Go to your spiritual mom and dad and ask them, you know my, you know my calling or share your calling with them. And say, How, what lifestyle do you think it looks like for me to fulfill this calling? Some of you were called into media, arts, entertainment. Boy, like you, that, that, you may as well go John the Baptist here. Like you're going, you're going into some heavy places you need a lifestyle that's going to war against the one that you're, you're dealing with. So, so anyway, there's your follow-up. Find your spiritual moms and dads. Tell them the things that are going on in your heart, the calling on your life. If they don't know, say, what lifestyle do I need? Help me. Help me to understand the lifestyle I need to fulfill the thing of God in my life. All right. Third point. I just did two. I got one more to go. Um, we point to the Lamb of God, number one. Number two, we commit to prayer and fasting. And my last one, we bring parents and children together. This one, we haven't unpacked as much in this company. But if you've been with us a while, you know that's the heart of this church. Malachi 4, 5, and 6 is, is the, one of the central verses of why this church exists and what we've prayed over the years. Bringing, and Malachi 4, 5, and 6 is what... John the Baptist fulfilled <laughs> on some measure and more to come. Um, but I want to read that to you, and it's about uniting the children and the parents. So here it is. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. I love the first part. The last part's intense and scary. But that's what it says. That's, that's the cost of the children and parents not coming together. I mean, do we have a more fractured family unit in this country than we've ever had? I, I think so. Like, there's never been a more relevant time in this nation for this message. God, bring together the children and the parents. And even if you look across this church, we're multi-generational here. We've got a range of... The, the, best, the best answer to the problem of... Families not being healthy and broken down is the church itself being a healthy family and resourcing and and strengthening the families to be models to other families and say children actually aren't burdens they're blessings children actually are like the fruit that you have been desiring and wanting your whole life like 
and, and here's a family that's not dysfunctional, that has Jesus at the center to give you a picture of what you can have. Because I know friends, they're not having babies because they don't want to bring them into this world. And they've never seen a healthy family, and they can't imagine having one. It's a tragic thing. And there's those that are aborting their babies for the same reasons, or you name it. There's a lot of different reasons why somebody would have an abortion. But they haven't seen healthy families. They, they don't know it, but the church is called to be it. And so we're very big on this church standing for life. We've been praying for the ending of abortion for quite some time. It shows you the power of prayer. In fact, you know, that, it, that Roe v. Wade is now overturned. And it, it's a pivotal moment. And many of you in this company, I'm telling you, some of you I prayed with, and I'm remembering now, like, oh, that person, this person. Like, there's a call to support life that if it's in you, it's going to bubble. It's probably bubbling up, bubbling up right now, given what's going on given the need for care and support for these families, for these children that are now going to be born, for children that need to be adopted, there's a whole thing. We're, we're called to pray more, and we're also called to go and support life in any possible way we can, especially in this city, which they call the abortion capital of America. And we call, no, the place where these children are going to actually be nurtured, cared, supported, and brought into the kingdom of God. Like we speak a different word over our city. And so how much more so, given the city we're in and the scriptures and the calling on this house, should we be in the middle of this fight? And I think it's one that it's so central to what, why God placed us here, I believe. And I believe there's something, there's something right now. I'm really expectant. I'm telling you, I, I can't go into it. But I know that I know that I know that the Lord is raising us up, equipping us to pray and also to act and support these families in the city. And we're going we're gonna to do a thing in August, it looks like, uh, just supporting life and bring in, talk about different, different organizations, what they're doing in the city, how we can support them. Just even, you know, how do you adopt? How do you foster? Like, all these facets. And I really believe some of you, this is part of the purpose of your life that has been maybe, maybe hidden or, or, or not touched. And maybe you thought, oh, it's just too much. You know, like, oh, like the, the, the needs of these families and children are, are too, I, I can't possibly fill it. But God's like, no, no, you can't. No, I'll give you an abundance. I'll give you more than enough emotional, financial, whatever you need, because I love life. And I love these little ones, and I'm bringing them forth. And I'm, I'm going to put them in healthy homes, and it might be your home. And, and so, like, I, I'm, I'm telling you, this, it's something that's going on right now, and let's not downplay it. Um, I want to say one more thing, and then and the worship team come up. Well, I'll say this. This is really important. Years ago, we're a prophetic company, right? Years ago, Jules had this vision of a, it's like a foster, adoptive, we, we don't know fully, but it's like, well, how big was it, Jules? Five, seven floors? Five-story building, all right? A five-story building that it's connected with, with, a, with a adoption, foster care. Like, it's got this connection with caring for families, with exactly the thing I'm telling you about. This thing is going to come forth in due time. Jules has seen it. This is years we've prayed into this thing. This, it, it's a moment. And so, so I'm, get ready. <laughs> and I'm putting it out there so you know this is in our, even our five-year plans to see this thing realized. And maybe it'll come sooner than I think. But this, this is part of the call on the house. Um, worship team, could you guys come on up? So I just want to end with, um, I want to just share this real quick. So, 
I'm just going to keep harping on this because I think it's really important. So my daughters, I mentioned them earlier, Fern, her name means sincere love. Lilu, her name means strong warrior and purity. And, um, you know, yesterday, I think it was, I think it was yesterday, um, they started getting in an argument over something. And uh, probably Barbies, you know, Vanessa mentioned this last week. It's a continual battle. Um, but I remember Fern started speaking things that were not nice to Lilu. And, and I looked at her in front of Lilu, and I said, Fern, I understand you're upset. I understand you were wronged. I understand this Barbie's head is decapitated and over here. I made that up. But, but your name means sincere love. And so you need to speak to your sister in line with who God made you to be. Do you remember your name? Do you remember who you are? Sincere love. Keeping our daughters and our sons on the track, despite the behavior, despite what we see, because I know God had us call her that. I know that's her name. And I know that's what she's called to. Lilu, strong, my strong warrior, sometimes she will have, you know, things that scare her, whether it's, you know, water, nightmares. She's also very prophetic. Um, and I'll have to come to Lilu and say, okay, I understand you're scared. That's, let's acknowledge you're scared. It's a fearful thing. But do you remember what your name means? St strong warrior, right? Strong warrior. So let's remember that God has made you strong. Let's remember he's called you to war and not draw back. And let's, and let's agree with your name. Let's agree with your calling. Let's agree with who he's made you to be. It's so important that we understand our kids, their DNA, their name, their calling, and that we understand each other in this room. We need to understand so we can war with one another yeah. for what's true and right and good. And I believe when we do that, Jesus might come back. <laughs> Seriously, though. All right, everybody stand up for me. So I just want to I just want to close in prayer and then we're going to do a little worship. But on a serious note, the Lord is going to return. And so I said that really cheeky, but it's it's very real. And it's it's part of why we we do all the things I just mentioned. To prepare the way for the Lord. To prepare the way for his coming. To prepare the hearts for the harvest. So, Father, today I pray, Lord, would you raise up a church in New York City? This church and many, many more. Would you raise up a church in New York City? Just agree with me from where you're at. God, would you raise up a church that points to the Lamb and only to the Lamb of God? Would you raise up a church that draws people unto you? Father, I pray that you would raise up a church that's consecrated, set apart, one with prayer and fasting, one who won't compromise their calling, one who won't normalize the culture, but will follow in obedience what you say. Father, raise up that church in New York City, in this house and across the city. God, we ask that you would raise up a church in New York City that looks and feels like a family, 
that embodies your father heart with healthy sons, healthy daughters, healthy moms, healthy dads, healthy families, God, as a sign and wonder to this city that life matters and that you are the author of life and your desire in your heart is for life to be nurtured, valued, cultivated, grown. Father, let your church embody this, that we would be on the front lines of life in this city. And I pray today, Father, specifically for those in this room that aren't excited, aren't aware even of their specific calling, their specific anointing on their life. Lord, I pray today, would you, Holy Spirit, come and blow on them. Come and blow on them. Some of you don't need new words. You just need to get more confident in the old words. Father, I pray you would blow on those old words. I, play, I pray the scriptures that you've placed on their life, just as John found himself in the scriptures. Lord, people in this room, you found, and on Zoom, you've, or YouTube, you found yourself in the scriptures. And God's already highlighted it to you. And right now I pray, Holy Spirit, would you baptize them in confidence? Would you baptize them in confidence? Lord, I pray you would raise up spiritual moms and dads that could say, that is you. That scripture is yours. That calling is yours. Lay down your life. It's worth it. Move everything aside. It's worth it. Go in the wilderness if you have to. Come, Holy Spirit. Touch our hearts. Remind us who we are. Let's worship. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.